0: You're listening to audio from Mountain View Church located in Murphy, North Carolina. If you'd like more information, you can find us at www.mtnvu.org or on Instagram and Facebook Mountain View Church NC. I'm not sure what's happening. There we go. All right. Fantastic. All right. Back to your regu- regularly scheduled programming. Uh, <laughs> number one, some of you have asked why the black sheet is still up there. Uh, it's because we're, we're trying to see if it affects the picture on the live screen to have the window Covered up. I don't know if you know anything about video, but the light streaming in from that window backwashes everything. And it makes me look bolder than I am. (laughs) I'm just teasing. Uh, That is really why it's still up there. Second, uh, a special thank you to everyone who participated in the Fellowship Hall painting project yesterday. Uh, we had a great crew, and many of those folks were here for the better part of the day, and uh, it looks really good down there. If you get a chance, just walk downstairs before you leave today and uh, thank uh, Mike Antipinko for cooking for the team, and Joe Doty, and Earl, and uh, Cindy Ellenwood, some of our deacons who were here kind of leading that charge, and uh, yeah, thank you all who participated. And then thirdly... I don't know if you know it or not, but a group gathers here for prayer at the church every Thursday evening at 7 p.m., and you may also not know that we meet right here in this room for prayer every third Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Now, this means this coming Thursday, you have two opportunities to join us for prayer at 7 a.m., And at 7 p.m. And here's the deal. We don't want to just be a people who pray because we have to. We want to be a people who pray because we get to. So, let's make it a priority because it's a privilege. I hope that you all can at least join us for one of those times this coming Thursday. Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. It's our typical practice here at Mountain View just to walk verse by verse through books of the Bible. And uh, we are currently working our way slowly but surely through the little book of Habakkuk. If you got a Bible, turn there. If you don't, you'll find a Bible underneath one of the seats in front of you. And if you need to use the table of contents, there's no shame in that. The book of Habakkuk is right near the end of the Old Testament. Well, it's one thing to talk about walking the path of lament as we have done over these last few weeks. It's an entirely different thing to actually do it in the midst of In particular, it's challenging, I have found, to make the pivot from protest and petition to praise, much as King David does in Psalm 13 and as Habakkuk does by the end of this book. That's especially difficult when unanswered questions persist or when pain continues. That's why I'm very thankful that God has given us the full story in the book of Habakkuk. In other words, God doesn't just chart a course for us from complaint to confidence in him. He shows us the things that we need to do in order to cultivate a heart of trust as we walk through times of trouble, which again, in my mind, is the most challenging part of the path of lament. Look, I don't necessarily have trouble turning to God in my pain or expressing my heartache to God or even asking God for help, but I do have trouble trusting God with the outcome of my pain. I mean, actually trusting him. Once again, I think Habakkuk shows us the way. Our text this morning is the pivot point of the entire book. These are the verses around which all three chapters revolve. In these verses we're about to walk through, God teaches us exactly how to send out our roots in search of living water when the scorching heat of trial threatens to dry out our leaves and wither our lives. And Make no mistake about it, the scorching heat of trial will come. At some point in our lives, like the prophet Habakkuk, all of us are going to face problems without solutions, questions without answers, or circumstances beyond our control that we never could have expected or planned for or even avoided. We like to think we are in the driver's seat you know, it helps, us, it helps us forget how small and fragile we actually are. And we like to think that if we take all the necessary steps, we can predict and anticipate, plan for, and otherwise come out on top of any and every situation we face. But deep down, we know that we have far, far less control over many many things then we like to convince ourselves we do when those things come crashing into our lives and we choose to walk the path of lament with the Lord the question at hand will always be how do we actually turn the corner toward trust Time and time and time again. In the midst of those problems and those questions and those unforeseen circumstances that actually would otherwise tempt us to turn away from God in distrust. God tells us through Habakkuk exactly how to cultivate the kind of trust necessary to walk hand in hand with him through troubled times. In chapter 2, beginning in verse 2, this is what the Lord says. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it. For the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as shale. Like death, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. I pray that your word would have an impact and a life-changing effect on our lives as we walk through it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord instructs us through his words to Habakkuk, if we're going to cultivate trust in him, to lean into the things that we do know. Last week, we left Habakkuk waiting on God's response to his doubt-ridden questions. You remember them, right? Are you not an infinite God? Are you not a holy God? Are you not the creator of all things and all peoples who deserves glory and honor from everyone everywhere? This morning, we hear God's response to those Questions. But if we've learned anything from the book of Habakkuk thus far, we've learned to expect the unexpected when it comes to God. God doesn't immediately address Habakkuk's questions, in other words. Instead, God instructs Habakkuk to write down the vision that he's been given in plain words so that anyone who reads it can respond accordingly. Accordingly. What's the vision exactly? Well, the one that Habakkuk received from God about God raising up the Chaldeans, otherwise known as the Babylonians, to execute judgment on his people. You remember that one, right? The one that caused Habakkuk to enter into something of a faith freefall. Well, God simply reiterates the fact of it as if to confirm that Habakkuk heard him correctly And then he tells Habakkuk to write it down and to distribute it. This is a cue to us that it's incredibly important to pay attention to that which God has disclosed to us. If we're going to trust him in the midst of our troubles. As Habakkuk has already experienced There's a whole lot that we simply don't know about God's work in the world. About why God does the things that he does in the ways that he does them. In other words, there are always going to be questions to which we have no answers. At least not in this life. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. King Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes that this is how God designed the world to work. After all, you and I are called to live by faith and not by sight. Listen to Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. I have seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. That is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever, nothing can be added to it nor taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. In other words, God is sovereign over everything. From birth to death, And at every moment between the bookends of our lives, God is in control. Not only that, God is working out his plans and purposes in the midst of the many seasons that we encounter in our lives. Through things good and bad. Pleasant and heartbreaking. Things worth celebrating and things that are utterly confusing. God is painting a masterpiece of grace and glory that will one day reveal the beauty of his infinite wisdom. In the meantime, you and I must simply trust that these things are true. Again, we must walk by faith and not by sight. As Solomon tells us, God may well have put eternity in our hearts. He may well have put within us this longing to know the story that he's telling in all of its intricate detail, this longing to have the why questions answered. But as Solomon also says, God hasn't given us the ability to see how the billions of puzzle pieces fit together. As a result, we often struggle to make sense of it all. At least I have, I do, and I don't think I'm alone. In fact, Solomon did too, in light of the mystery that is God's sovereignty over everything. He basically asks, How do we live in a world where God says He has a plan, but we can't always see how all of the various details fit together? Answer We must lean into the things we do know. Where do we find these things? plainly written for us on the pages of Scripture. And why do we have the things that are there written for us? So that we who read them can heed them and run the race that is set before us. This is why Habakkuk is told by God that he's given this vision to him, that he might write it down and distribute it so that people who read it might be able to persevere in faith, knowing that God will be faithful to his word. When trouble comes, we turn toward the Lord and we turn toward trust by immersing ourselves in the scriptures that he has given us. This doesn't mean that we ignore or bypass the difficult emotions or the lingering questions or the disappointment we feel. No. We've talked about how Scripture invites us to bring all of these things into our relationship with the Lord. It does, however, mean that we immerse ourselves in the Scriptures in search of the reminders of God's goodness and his faithfulness and his power and his wisdom that we find there. When we're struggling, in the midst of trouble, to trust the Lord, we need regular reminders that God is, in fact, trustworthy. And we find them throughout his word. It is, in fact, a record of his faithfulness. When you and I are struggling in the midst of trouble to believe that the Lord loves us, we need regular reminders that he does and we find them throughout his word. It is a record of his steadfast love. When we're struggling, in the midst of trouble to believe that God is good and that God has good intentions for us. We need reminders of his goodness. And we also find these in his word. It's a record of his goodness demonstrated toward us in his son. To sinful creatures like you and me who don't deserve such kindness when we're struggling, in the midst of trouble, to believe that God is truly in control. In spite of the chaos swirling around us and inside of us, we need reminders of his sovereignty. And we find them throughout his word. It is a record of his divine determination to bring about great and eternal good, not only in spite of, but through evil and suffering unleashed on this world as a result of human sin. Of course, this means if you and I are going to benefit from these plainly written things that he's given us, that you and I need to actually invest time in the scriptures. Did you notice that God says to Habakkuk about the vision that he's given it so that he may run who what? Who reads it. This morning the God who made you is inviting you to turn to him and to sink your roots into his life-giving words plainly written upon the pages of scripture and to find in his plainly written words the wisdom that your soul was made to feast on in times of trouble when you encounter God there as the author of Psalm 1 says you will encounter living water to sustain your life and enable you to bear fruit even in times of trouble. Many of you can no doubt testify that this is true. The scriptures are a record of the things God would have us know. That he is faithful. That he is good. That he does love us. And that He is in control—a record that you and I can turn to time and time again when our trust in Him is threatened in the midst of troubled times, when we have no clear answer to the questions in front of us. Habakkuk also teaches us here that if we're going to cultivate, if we're going to cultivate resilient trust in the Lord in troubled times. We're also going to have to learn to wait on the Lord. God not only tells Habakkuk to write down the vision, he makes it very clear to to Habakkuk three times that the vision will come to pass. He says, it will not lie. It will surely come. It will not delay. Ironically, though, Habakkuk is told to wait for it. If it seems slow, wait for it. I don't know if you know this or not, but waiting is a normal experience in the kingdom of God. Abraham waited, Joseph waited. The enslaved people of God waited. Moses waited. David waited. The people of God in Jesus' day were waiting. We await the return of Christ. In fact, the very definition of faith given to us in the book of Hebrews implies that living by faith involves waiting with an expectant hope that God will most certainly bring his promises to pass in his good time. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. The author of Hebrews then goes on to list all of these people in the scriptures who demonstrated that kind of expectancy as they walked through this world. This is certainly the kind of life God was calling Habakkuk to embrace when God told him that those in right relationship with God are those who live by faith or those who trust of course the question at least in my mind is how do we learn to wait on the Lord it's not our natural bent first of all we practice patience and I emphasize the word practice Sometimes practicing patience is a choice of the will. We cast the burden of thinking that we know what is best for us at the feet of our king, and we entrust ourselves to his will and his plan for our lives. Now, let's be honest for just a moment. This isn't something you and I typically do once and for all in times of trouble. It's usually something we must do over and over and over again. We also pursue perspective. Though we aren't given insider access to the whole script, we ask the Holy Spirit to help us remember that the whole script has been written And we have been allowed a spoiler-free peek at the end of the story. So we know how it all concludes, right? In fact, as we'll see in coming weeks, it is knowing the end of the story that actually helps us to endure in the present. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That word consider means to add up or to calculate. Here the Apostle Paul is telling us actively pursue perspective on our pain by comparing our present pain to the glory that is to be revealed to us when the Lord Jesus returns. He's not asking us, as I've already said this morning, to bypass our pain, but to actively put it in perspective. To remember that the only thing that can really destroy us in the end, sin, has been destroyed in the death and resurrection of Christ, which means ultimately that all the pain for those who are in Christ in this life is temporary in the grand scheme of things. And then thirdly, we are to actively entrust ourselves to Christ in the midst of our times of trouble. I don't know if you know this or not, but Habakkuk 2, verse 4, where God says the righteous shall live by his faith is quoted three times in the New Testament. Once in Hebrews, once in Galatians, and once in Romans. Romans. And this is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Here's the point. Here's the tie-in to Habakkuk. You and I will not be able to be patient with God, to gain eternal perspective apart from a living faith and a relationship with Jesus Christ. When you and I see Jesus enduring the cross, patient, looking toward the joy set before him and actively trusting his Father in his darkest hour, then and only then will you and I be able to entrust ourselves to the Lord. Jesus is the one through his presence who enables us, empowers us, and encourages us to endure through his spirit. He is the one who has walked the path of faith before us. When you read Hebrews chapter 11, and you kind of go through this hall of faith, who does the hall of faith culminate with? Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews says, Now, look Unto him, the author and the finisher of your faith, the one who walked the path before you, the one in the garden who through heaving sobs said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. You and I can't walk the path of lament and turn toward God in trust apart from Christ, the faithful one. None of us likes to wait. (laughs) Especially when it comes to prolonged pain or unanswered questions that seem to have no answers. But if you and I are going to be able to make the turn from protest to praise, then we're going to have to practice patience, pursue perspective... And we're going to have to entrust ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and allow him to enable us by faith to wait on the Lord. We're not only taught here to do that, we're taught finally that we must resist resorting to self-reliance if we're going to make the turn toward trust. You know, when we face unexpected trouble, our tendency is to circle the wagons in response to our fear and try to control and preserve what we can. Right? Here in our text, God contrasts the Babylonians with the response of the righteous. And this is incredibly important for not just understanding the book of Habakkuk, but also for understanding the entire Bible. In the first place, notice what God says in verse four. He says, behold, or look. Look, Habakkuk. His soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him. God God wants Habakkuk to know that he sees exactly who the Babylonians are, All right? God is under no illusions that they are a good people on a humanitarian mission to bring peace and love to the nations. The Babylonian soul, according to God's diagnosis, is puffed up and arrogant. Arrogant and greedy. God says, I know that they go about gathering nations for themselves that they might exalt their own power and glory in their false gods. I know these things. Now in the second place, God wants Habakkuk and us to know by extension exactly what self-reliant humanity is like. Did you know that in the Bible, Babylon is seen as the very embodiment of human beings who choose to do life apart from God? Now, the Babylonians, who were the looming threat on the horizon in Habakkuk's day, they will eventually be destroyed and replaced on the world scene by the Persians. But the biblical writers can't ever get away from seeing Babylon as a symbol of a proud, self-sufficient person who arrogantly dishonors God. Stretching from the Tower of Babel in Genesis, literally all the way through to the book of Revelation the authors of the Bible return again and again and again to this idea. And you know what? Time and time again, the people of God are actually told to come out of this Babylonian system of pride and self-sufficiency and arrogant dismissal of God and his kingdom. Here in our text this morning, in some measure at least, the Babylonians represent those who respond to life and its troubles without the faith in the God of Habakkuk that Habakkuk possesses. You know, pain has a profound way of exposing the flimsy foundations that you and I are Trusting in and leaning on for support. It has a way of showing us the ways that the ways that we are trying to deal with pain are nothing but dead ends. Now look at the text. In verse 4. God says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, now this seems a bit out of place, but I want to show you that it isn't. Wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he never has enough. Remember, I just said pain has a profound way of exposing the flimsy foundations that you and I are really trusting in or leaning on for support. It has a way of showing us the ways that we're trying to deal with pain that are nothing but dead ends. Take alcohol, for instance. God calls it a traitor in our text. Why? Well, many of us think that by entrusting ourselves to its ability to tranquilize us or to numb us from the pain around us or inside of us that we will finally experience a measure of relief. But all it does Is distract us for a time until we wake up again to the troubles around us and inside of us, to the questions that are still hanging around and cannot be solved by emptying a bottle. It's a traitor. Many think it will give them genuine, lasting rest, but it never does because it can. not The same goes for any other pain reliever that we employ, whether it's shopping or eating or sexual partners or 3 a.m. Netflix binges or a whole host of likes on the latest Instagram post that we post. All of these things are nothing but self-salvation strategies. But just as God tells Habakkuk, they never give us the rest our souls are longing for. He says, an arrogant man who is never at rest. The fourth century pastor and theologian Augustine said, God You have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. The psalmist wrote in Psalm chapter 4 verse 8, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I think God indicates to us here in our text that the person relying upon himself during times of trouble will also find it hard to love because he'll be consumed with his own care. Notice what God says. He not only calls the Babylonian heart arrogant, he calls it greedy. Now, here's the interesting thing. This isn't how Jesus responded in his darkest hour, is it? When Jesus saw his mother and the apostle John positioned at the foot of the cross, watching him be crucified, even as he hung suspended between heaven and earth, what did he say to the two of them? John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Isn't that a remarkable thing? to consider how much anguish and pain the Lord Jesus was in during the darkest moments of his life. And yet, what was he doing? He was loving. What enabled Jesus to give rather than to take during his hour of greatest anguish well he had chosen the path of humility and obedience to his father and in the garden the night before he had completely entrusted himself to his father and so here in his darkest moment he wasn't trying to hold on to his life He knew his father held him in the palm of his hands. He had entrusted himself to his father and to his father's purposes, and so he could give himself away. Do you know what that tells me? When you and I entrust ourselves to the Lord in the midst of our own pain we can actually do more than grit our teeth and simply endure it. We can actually love in the midst of it, as Jesus did. Not as a way to prove ourselves worthy of the love of the Father, but as an evidence of the fact that you and I don't have to grasp Tightly to life, that we truly believe that our lives are in the hands of our good, good Father. Look, here's the reality God may never give us the solution we want, or the answers we desire, or the end. That we crave, to the perplexing pain we face. But what He will give us, and what we are guaranteed if we entrust ourselves to Him and draw near to Him, He will give us the ability to love, to return love to Him, and to love others. We will, in fact, bear the fruit that reflects his presence in our lives and the fact that we have been drinking from the living water even in the midst of drought. The kind of water that keeps the leaves of our lives green and the fruit growing on the vine even in the midst of times of trouble. How many of us exhibit a restless kind of coming and going from coping mechanism to coping mechanism and a sort of inward focused self-centeredness in the midst of our pain that betrays the fact that we are actually relying upon ourselves rather than upon the Lord Jesus Christ to see us through. if we are abiding in Christ, if we are finding rest for our weary souls in him and his spirit is at work in us, even in the midst of present pain, how might our lives look different? God tells Habakkuk that they will. Is it really possible in the end To love like Jesus in a time of trouble. Yeah, it is. But we have to be connected to Jesus by faith, receiving power from his spirit to do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here this morning to sing your praises, to fellowship with your people, to hear from your word about what it actually looks like to cultivate a heart that trusts in you in the midst of present pain. God, I want to pray this morning that as we prepare to respond to the things we've talked about, that everyone in this room will quiet our hearts before you and ask you how you might have us do that. Lord, perhaps we are stuck in that feedback loop of always asking why and how long. And Lord, you invite us to do that. But as we've already talked about in weeks past, you don't want us to get stuck there. You call us to walk the whole path from complaining to asking to trusting. So maybe there are folks here who need to dig into your word and feed upon your promises. Maybe there are folks here this morning who have grown impatient with you in the midst of their present pain. Holy Spirit, will you help them cultivate patience and perspective? Will you help them to remember that waiting on you is not a matter of just pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, But it is a matter of abiding in Christ, trusting in Christ, seeing that in Christ is our only hope for a patient heart. And then I have to venture that there's someone here this morning who, God, they've literally just been trying to grin and bear it for most of their lives relying on themselves and their resources, relying upon coping mechanisms mechanisms just to make it through the day, through the pain. Holy Spirit, would you quietly and gently ask them this morning, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? Us is there ready to receive them when they are ready to collapse give up the fight and say no more relying upon me I entrust myself and all that I am to you oh Lord lead each person to respond as you would have us respond this morning in Jesus name